in Western cultures like the one in which we live, when we introduce ourselves to someone for the first time, we have a particular way of going about it. Usually we'll use a relationship of some sort or we'll talk about our job or our, our profession. So I might say, hi, my name is Dave. I'm a pastor. Or, or hi, my name is Dave. I'm, I'm a dad or a husband or, or a son. And you probably have some titles that you use when you introduce yourself to someone as well. But in other places in the world, introductory conversations, they, they don't quite look the same. When Haley and I lived in Malawi, we had to get used to two different types of questions that were, were asked when we meet somebody for the first time. The, the first question that we'd often hear is, where are you from? And that question was, was getting to our history. Where, where are you from? What, where's your family from? Where were you born? Those, those sorts of historical questions. And then the second question was, where do you stay? And what's behind that question, what's behind the where do you stay question is the what are you doing right now? Where do you live today? Well, right now in today's world, all of us are called to some extent to be in our homes, to stay in our homes. And even as society begins to open up to some degree, this whole experience is going to make us kind of rethink of what we mean when we talk about home. We're in this at-home series. The reason we're in this this series is because I believe that throughout Scripture and, and throughout history and throughout our, our personal experience that God has always shown up in homes. As Matt said as we started the, the service, we're, we're learning the importance of, of things like slowing down. It's kind of a, a spiritual discipline. And, and in the process, we're, we're learning to love our neighbors, to love our community in a different way. In the beginning of the book of Acts, Luke writes about the early church and about how they, they gathered in the temple at times, and then they also broke bread in their homes. Worshiping in the temple and breaking bread in their homes went together. That, that's what it meant to be the church. So as the Christian community began to grow in influence, to grow in, in its impact on society, having more and more impact, homes became increasingly important. The apostles, they, they spent time teaching and preaching out in public. And then once that, that kind of was overbearing for the public, they'd return to the home to, to unpack it, to, to hide maybe uh, as civil and religious authorities were, were seeking them out. And those authorities were doing everything they could to slow the growth of the early church. So they'd scatter to homes to, to kind of find refuge in homes. So we're going to be looking at one of the more well-known passages out of Acts this morning. It's out of Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, it's the story of Paul's conversion. And, and Paul, remember, had been, been persecuting the church for quite some time. And then he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And on the way into the city, he's, he's blinded. He goes into the city. He, he rests and he meets someone named Ananias there. So starting here in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, we read this. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. It was an address. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he is seen in a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
And here he, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, now we, we talked about this passage as a church at WPC last fall. And one of the things I said, one of the things I tried to highlight is the reality that both Saul and Ananias are changed by, by Saul's conversion. They're both transformed by his conversion. Paul, remember, was this man of immense privilege. He, he came from a well-off and, and well-connected family, so he had the opportunity to go uh, to some of the best schools, to study under some of the brightest rabbis. And, and he not only goes from being uh, someone who persecutes the church, someone who persecutes Christians, to confessing to be one, but he also moves from, from city to city, from house to house, planting seeds and telling the story of Jesus. This is a massive, massive story. It's why we, we tell it so so often. And, and most think Ananias was one of the first Christians in Damascus. We don't know a whole lot about him other than he was well-respected by the religious community. And we have no idea why God chose him to go to Judas's house to find Saul. Ananias, he, he walks into the house and, and we don't know exactly what he was thinking on his journey to the house, but he had just heard one of those prayers where we hear something that that just doesn't quite sit right. And we're not sure if it was really God or or if it was maybe something we ate last night or we're just we're just not so sure. And it's really God. You want us to do want me to do that. And so so he says to God, hey, that's absolutely insane. There's there's no way that you really really want me to do that. You you know who this guy is, don't you? You, you know what he's done, don't you? It, it's one of those moments where, where Ananias thinks that he knows better than God, where he has an idea of what the plan should be. And he's telling God what the plan should be, how it should all look. I can only imagine what, what ran through his mind as he walked through the streets of Damascus on his way to that house on Straight Street. I don't know if he argued with God along the way or, or if if the walk kind of cleared his mind in the same way that when I go out on a bike ride during these times or a walk uh, at dusk during these times that it helps to kind of clear my mind and kind of set my, my heart at ease. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. But something, something changes on that walk. Something changes before he walks into the door and walks through the door. Maybe he recognizes that God's ways are bigger than his and accepts that truth. Maybe he recognizes that God can take anything and anyone and use it and use that person for his kingdom. Maybe he comes to accept that. We, we don't know. But he walks in. He sees the, the man who was a chief persecutor of the church. And he sees him and he walks up and he says, Brother Saul. Brother, 
Ananias lays his hand on this, this man who's dazed and confused, kind of calming him, probably, probably settling some of Saul's fears and something that looked like scales fall from Saul's eyes. Saul, or, or Paul as we come to know him, uh, is transformed and Ananias is transformed as well. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be in that house that day? Could you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the men who were traveling with with Paul on the road to Damascus? You had one thing in mind, and then this happens. Life looks different from then on. Or could you imagine um, Judas's family? Now, this wasn't Judas Iscariot. This is Judas of Damascus. This isn't that Judas. Can you imagine being Judas and saying, God, why why are you using my house for this? Can you imagine being someone in his family and saying, what in the world is happening in our house. Uh, neighbors on Straight Street, they, they probably knew there was something going on inside the house as well. They, 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 why is there so much commotion? Why are these people coming in? Transformation didn't stop with Paul. Transformation didn't even stop with Ananias. It didn't even stop with Judas. It started in the house and then continued out into the neighborhood, out into society. From those who witnessed the first interaction between Paul and Ananias to those who, who came to visit later in the days that followed as, as, as Paul regained his strength to years later as Paul moves throughout the well, the, the known world planting churches. When God transforms someone, when God grabs onto someone's life, it has a way of, of multiplying, of having an exponential effect. So Paul and those who are traveling with him, they're totally transformed. Ananias is transformed. Judas and his family, the neighbors, they're all transformed. The experience that each of them had extended beyond one house. Now, the same is true with the story of Mary and Martha that we looked at last week. Right, Mary and Martha, they're transformed. The disciples are transformed. The, the neighbors who, who don't know what's going on with this man Jesus stopping at the house, they're, they're transformed. The transformation that took place in homes and in, in scripture, everywhere for Jesus's first followers, for the early, early church, it, it's made me think about what's happening today. It's made me think about what's happening in our world. What, what's happening in your home? In a few minutes, we're going to see some pictures of what life looks like for, for members of our, our church community. But what, what is happening in your home in the middle of this crisis? What, what's happening in your house? And, and how does that impact your neighbors? How does that impact the Conejo Valley? How does it impact the whole world? What sort of transformation is happening in your new rhythms, in your new routines? Are, are there any new habits that you're starting now that might continue once life gets back to whatever it's going to be. Now, for me personally, in addition to, to slowing down with my family and having more time with, with my kids, this season has reminded me of the need to be intentional with, with my time and, and with our resources. So I actually think about that, that trip to, to the grocery store, to Trader Joe's right down the street. I actually think about it before I go. I think, should I go? I think, should I get, do I really need what, what, what's on my list? Do I, is now the right time to go? I think about our house. I think about our, our neighborhood, all, all things that I used to take.
for granted. In some ways, the transformation for me has been around personal discipline and how I interact with other people. But, but what has it been for you? How has God used this time to transform your life? And how might that transformation continue into the future? What sort of impact will it have beyond your own? Let's pray. Lord, may this season continue to be a, a season of transformation where, where you take this, this time that is, is so confusing and hard and difficult for, for many of us and you use it to transform our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen.